Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and those who do not identify on the gender binary. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the third episode and uh, the final recording in the cycle that we did initially. Uh, Don't get me wrong, this is not the last episode. We've got another cycle that we just recorded. But yeah, this has been a really exciting journey. This is something that I have wanted to do for a while. I've really wanted to podcast. And particularly, we wanted to start October right by giving you Silence of the Lambs, a fantastic piece of horror. Uh, or at the very least, depending on if you're splitting hairs, uh, it's kind of more of a thriller or more of a procedural. Uh, but yeah, it's still one of the only films that can be classified as horror to win an Academy Award. One thing we don't get into in the podcast is that this, as well as a number of others, uh, such as Psycho, were based on a fellow named Ed Gein, or Ed Gein, depending on who you ask. It'll be pronounced a different way all the time. But, yeah, Ed Gein is an interesting figure. If you like serial killers, I don't feel one way or another about serial killers, <laughs> but if you happen to like them, feel free to look him up. I'm sure you already know him, uh, but yeah, this was one of those pieces. So the audio that you're hearing right now is going to be a lot better than the audio that you uh, hear within the panel, and that's because, once again, I'm using a headset mic versus the radial mic that I use to record the panel, and that is going to be fixed. Starting next program, we are going to be using four new headset mics, thanks to an anonymous donation from a friend of mine who wanted to help get the piece a little bit more uh, strong so that you can hear it a little bit better. So they have donated four headset mics. That's pretty amazing. Okay, I've wasted enough of your time, but before we get started with this episode with Silence of the Lambs, I wanted to let you know what we're covering in two weeks. We are covering the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The original one from the 70s, that's right. Uh, And it's going to be premiering, unless something has changed, the same day that the Fox remake of Rocky Horror is going to happen on the Fox network. So, feel free, watch it, take a listen to this, and then, later that night, go ahead and do the time warp again. But for now, enjoy Silence of the Lambs. Get your fava beans and a nice Chianti. It may have won an Academy Award, but today we're asking, is Silence of the Lands transphobic? My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a stand-up comic and a playwright, and today I'm joined by... My name is Bear Spiegel, Uh, I'm a performer and model, and I use he, they, she pronouns. And my name is Kelsey Jefferson Barrett, I use they pronouns, and I'm a writer and a freelance video captioner. Fantastic. So... Before we get into the meat of the question, you know, the name of the podcast, Is It Transphobic? I want to talk a little bit more about the film. Now, have either of you seen Silence of the Lambs before, uh, before this? Yes. All right, so Bear, you have? I have not. I managed to go until age 30, having never seen it, and even more impressive, not learning that much about it. Here and there, picked up little bits, had a bit of an idea, but a lot of this I was really going in blind. Now, was there any reason that you, you just kind of avoided it, or was it just sort of like, oh, I just never came up? No, it came up eventually. I mean, definitely when I was younger, I was very squeamish about film and anything sort of scary or blood and gore. But then as an older person, I was like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to get around to it, but whatever, I'll get there. And I never really cared enough. My wife loves it. She's been on me for years to watch it. So finally... I told her, well, we're doing it in the podcast. She's like, yes, I have to make you watch it now. 
So it's a win for her. Me, I watched it, uh, I can't even tell you the, when the last time I watched this was, but I have watched it in the past. I remember enjoying it, but feeling really kind of on the fence for obvious reasons. Uh, but the, the film itself, I love the way that they do it. I love, there was little bits and pieces seeing it this time around that I didn't notice actually, particularly the way Jodie Foster's character is treated by everyone. And how, you know, like, it's not good, but it's definitely a very, like, oh, okay, well, it's kind of good to see this portrayal, but, ooh, yeah, it was rough. Uh, so, who amongst us feels like we can probably give a, a decent synopsis? FBI agent Starling, who is given the assignment of this case, several cases of missing and murdered women, uh, which we find out are being held captive by transgender woman who's keeping a girl in a well and she's skinning them alive to wear their skin and Starling uses a incarcerated psychopath Hannibal Lecter to try to solve the case and he ends up escaping but they also end up finding and saving the girl who's kept captive and they kill the transgender woman murderer <laughs> murderer <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yes. Is there anything you wanted to add, Kelsey? Well, I mean, the thing for me that really came up, especially considering the film in this context, but also would have been a big question for me, in other words, is the point is, you know, a trainee FBI agent, Clary Starling, is going to this convicted, you know, psychopathic, you know, convicted cannibal, cannibal you know, <laughs> to get advice on another serial killer. And the way that the character of Hannibal is presented to us, you know, he's got that sort of, I'm like a gentleman, the almost the old school criminal in every way except for the fact that then he like bites people's faces off. Mm. But the movie suggests that in every other way, Hannibal is a reliable narrator. The information that he gives to um, Clarice is suggested by the film to be truth. And Hannibal says, and Clarice I believe says as well, more than once that this character, they've dubbed Buffalo Bill, the serial killer, is not a trans woman. That this is not what trans women are like. They, you know, they don't behave this way. This is a person who has a self-loathing that is so intense that they've had some kind of psycholo psychological break, which has never told us what it is, but they've had a break, and that this person has latched onto this idea of becoming a new person. So Hannibal says, he's not a trans woman. Mm. And Clarice says, or they use the term transsexuals, Clarice says, transsexuals aren't violent. They don't behave this way. This isn't, you know, and he's, uh, Hannibal says, well, yeah, because this isn't a trans person. And, you know, I've actually, I've got the clip. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go right in there, and why don't we watch that clip? But he is not a real transsexual. But he thinks he is. He tries to be. He's trying to be a lot of you said that I was very close to the women catching my students. There are three major centers for transsexual surgery Johns Hopkins, University of Minnesota, and Columbus Medical Center. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy had applied for the sex of the assignment one or all of them and been rejected. What well, nice should be rejected? Look, the severe childhood disturbances. They say he is not, quote unquote, he is not a transsexual. He was made one through years of psychological abuse, or he was made to believe that he needs to change due to years of psychological abuse. But again, they, they never actually address what that is. Mm -hmm. And that particular scene, because I remember having watched it before and saying, like, oh, that's right, it, it almost, you almost gloss over that scene when you think back to the movie. That's not a, that's almost not a pivotal scene. It's just sort of thrown in as a means to say, like, no, 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 Buffalo Bill's not a, a trans person. <laughs> but also when you think about the reasoning behind this, and we started talking about this in the last podcast, actually, uh, was the idea that, this is almost a, a specific moment in time that I don't think we're going to see anymore because 
it goes back to a time where, and there are still medical gatekeepers keeping trans folk from being able to transition uh, in, in a number of different ways, but it was very, it was hugely heightened from the 80s into the 90s. And we've only kind of recently gotten a little bit more laxed with it, which has been great. But really, when you're talking about Buffalo Bill, you're talking about a person who, Hannibal Lecter, as a psychiatrist who admits, like, oh, I've, I've seen him once or twice. Uh, and so he has been one of those medical gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to find out what your opinions, if they had just allowed this character, the bodily autonomy to get this surgery, whether they, whether this would be a very different movie. I was thinking about that, like, is that all that they needed to not go down this violent path, was to get the body they wanted, or would that not have actually been what they needed and they still would have done it anyway, and they would have been even more frustrated that they got this and not everything was solved. I mean, we don't know because it doesn't happen, but I think those would be like the two interesting paths of either, okay, problem solved, or fuck, this didn't solve anything, now I'm even more upset. Well, I think from a technical standpoint, from the, the story creator standpoint, what the little I knew about this movie, I went in expecting the slightly more common trope, which is the evil queer person, whether it be a gay man or a, you know any other variation, where they usually hang a little lantern on it and they say, oh well, they're not evil because they're queer, they're evil because they're queer and people treated them so badly that they became evil. So it's okay, we're not saying bad things about a gay person or a trans person or whatever. And to me, trying to read the intent behind this, what I thought they were trying to do was actually something different. They were saying, oh no, Real trans women are good people. That's a real thing. It's fine. We're not saying anything bad about them. We're talking about this other crazy psychopath person who's not actually related to that, has just glommed onto this thing. But when you're talking about like this idea of medical gatekeeping, in some ways this actually strikes me as worse, where they're saying the character who is our villain, our, you know, the actual villain of the story, is not fleshed out. And then Hannibal Lecter, who were, you know, get kind of love because that, you know, villain you, you, you fall in love with a little bit and that's what makes them so creepy, is telling you about this third person. This is what they're like. I made a judgment on that. So either you have this person who really has gone crazy because they've been told, like, no, you're not what you say you are. You can't have what you want. Or it is the classic thing that all people are afraid of when they say, oh, you know, like, the fear of the trans. It's, it's the same thing that people are talking about with the bathroom laws. Well, sure, there are some people who are really trans and good, but also scary psychopathic men are going to dress up like women to prey on women. So if you accept what Hannibal says, that's the, the stereotype you're left with. A crazy man who honestly thinks he's a woman but isn't, according to everyone else in the story, and terrorizes, preys on, and kills women. I think what also bothers me about this clip is the idea of they're like, he wasn't born a transsexual, he was made a transsexual, and I feel like that implies that you can become trans, which, I mean, I think people evolve and change, and of course their gender identity can change too, but you're, I think you're born with that idea of gender, and to say that someone has had so much trauma and pain that it turned them transsexual is real stupid and infuriating and also the idea of medical gatekeepers like how dare you as a medical professional tell someone they're not trans enough like if someone wants to change their body let people change their body like I don't think that's anyone's business and again, particularly from the time period, uh, there were a number of trans and non-binary individuals, but at the time, really, the, the binary was heavily enforced. And it, still, oh, yeah. it still is, but like back then, it was heavily enforced to the point where if you uh, were attracted, if you were a trans woman who was attracted to women, you were immediately thought of as a fetishist. Uh, if you were a trans woman who had any kind of trauma in your uh, in your life prior, if you had any kind of mental illness, then immediately you were looked at as, nope, not real trans. 
And so many people who would go in to go in for these uh, types of surgeries, because it also, I feel like there's there's a weird timetable going on here. It's almost like, it sounds like uh, this, the, the character of Buffalo Bill just walked into Johns Hopkins and was like, change my sex! And I, I'm almost sure that's not what was happening. But that's just kind of the narrative that I'm feeling from yeah. it. Yeah. And of course, if somebody walks in and is just like, change my sex! Like, like okay, well, let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, but it, it's, so it does kind of, so for years you'd have to live an entire year, and I don't know what the specifics are today, but like you would have to live an entire year as the, uh, as the gender that you had, that you are aligned with before they would even consider giving you hormones or before they would consider giving you surgery uh, of any kind. And I just feel like uh, they would also dictate exactly how you had to live, right. which is another thing that they really don't bring up in this, is that they dictate you have to not ever mention who you used to be. You have to, and this is legitimately, you'd have to do this. You can't talk about any surgery that you've had. You can't talk about any of this. And you have to be much like... Uh, the, the FBI agent Clarice stated, no, uh, transsexuals are, are, I forget the fucking word she used, like, I'm just going to say docile. Like, I feel like yeah, that's like, what she said. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know. They're like, peaceful, they're submissive, and it's just like, yeah, because. Yeah, he's deaf dog. Yeah, she kind of sounds like she's talking about, like, a breed of dog. Like, oh, no, pit bulls are actually really nice. Like, trans people are actually really nice. Like, don't. They are, I agree. <laughs> but just as an example. But as, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. a dismissive, Agreed, categorizing yeah. way, like you yeah. would talk yeah. about a, a breed of animal or something like that, oh, rather than like a complex human being. Mm-hmm. Which is an individual you can't right, glom them all together. But of course, also, of course they are. They're not allowed to talk. Like mm-hmm. You had to live like a 50s housewife, and if you didn't, then you were basically told by medical professionals, you are endangering yourself. You have to be this stereotype of a woman. And she's like, right. okay. Uh, like, no room, no wiggle room. Oh, but yeah. What's interesting, because that speaks to a little bit of what you were talking about earlier with this idea of, like, the way that Clarice is treated. I mean, the way that, that women are treated, which I believe I read somewhere is sort of one of the things they were really going for in this film, was talking, like, illustrating all of these ways that women are treated within this male society. And you know, the ways that she sort of has to bear up under it, the ways you see her to sort of be like, it's okay, like, you know, sort of, she's not like this, she's not demure, but she'll do it in the moment to get where she's going. And so this sort of, like, the way that femininity is defined for her as a woman makes you sort of question the way that femininity might be defined for another character who's basically being denied and being told this is not a woman at all. Is it just me, or does every man in this movie seem just creepy and terrifying. Yeah, that's correct. Like, I don't know if I noticed it the first time I watched it, but it's just, like, everyone has that kind of, like... Hannibal Lecter is, like, even further, but, like, everyone's kind of got that, hi, how's it going? Okay, you're gonna go in and see Hannibal? You're gonna go in and see that? You gotta tell me about it. You gotta, it's just like, yeah, what? Yeah, that's really <laughs> leering and creepy. And yeah. Yeah. So good. And towering. The movie's shot in a way that, you know, because she's so petite, a lot of the shots are from her perspective, so the, 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 the male characters are always sort of over you, and you're looking up at them, which automatically gives you sort of a sense of being unsafe and, and questioning. All right, so this is the person who's running the psych ward, and just the creepy eyes and sound. So the entire time he's just staring right at the lens, dead eye into the lens with a smile, and they've got Jodie Foster kind of like looking away, it's very, like, what you hear about, like, with again, like, talking about Dr. Lecter, just that idea of, like, I'm looking directly at you. I'm I mean, s- sorry. Yes, no, go ahead, Bear, you. please. That whole scene, I'm just like, yeah, that's life interacting with men as a woman. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel that. Like, guys can just be really creepy, especially when you're, as, as a woman, if you're asking for something and, like, they say the weirdest things, always complimenting on how you look. Like, I'm watching it, and I feel so uncomfortable because I know that feeling all too well. I'm like, yeah, this is real life. Like, I've had too many interactions like this. Like, 
and the careful way. She doesn't quite look at him, but is still respectful. She doesn't say, ew, no, get away from me, but she finds a loophole out that she can't be at fault for mm -hmm. turning him down is, is very much what you see her do with men throughout the whole movie, and right. this speaks true to the, the female experience as well. So, I don't know if you did any research on the time period and what happened around then, but uh, when it was nominated for an Academy Award, it was nominated alongside JFK as well as Basic Instinct. What year was this? Uh, it was, it won the award in 92, but it was made... So it was made in 91. Yep. Or it was... Released, yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. So in 92, both JFK and Basic Instinct were uh, on the ballot as well, and both of them had very poor portrayals of, in JFK's instance, uh, gay male characters, and in Basic Instinct, uh, bisexual character. And there was a huge riot well, I say huge, but there was a uh, sizable riot outside of the Academy Awards before the Academy Awards went on. I'm, I'm curious if you'd heard anything about that. No. Never. And I've never seen either of those movies, nor heard complaints about either of them. Yeah, the, the big one was Silence of the Lambs. That right. was the one that, uh, it was a group called Queer Nation. And oh, they... Yeah. They targeted, specifically because Silence of the Lambs was exactly what we watched, uh, but also because these other two movies had terrible representation and they Smart. said they did not want, we cannot reward poor representation. Uh, I mean, I fucking said that about Dallas Buyers Club with goddamn Jared Leto portraying a trans woman terribly and not mentioning trans women at all ever and then winning the award and not thanking trans women at all. I wanted to start a riot. I didn't. Now I feel like I should have. But I mean, it's not like anything was solved. There's still terrible portrayals of queer people in the media. I had a really interesting discussion with my wife, you know, sort of trying to pinpoint is Silence of the Lambs transphobic in what ways? And I think we've sort of proved in this discussion how slippery the subject is, you know, is getting down to the nitty-gritty of where it is and what the author's intent is and how much should that matter is always a discussion in these things, you know. She definitely felt that the attempt to say, oh, well, this person isn't actually a trans woman was sort of, you know, meant in good faith. And my counter was, it doesn't matter because we don't have any other representation. And I feel like that, especially coming out when they did, right, you know, coming out of the 80s and the mess that that was for queer rights, I do kind of feel like probably the creators didn't want to necessarily, there's, there's probably some point in the writer's room where they're like, okay, but let's make sure that we're not saying, you know, all trans women are evil murderers. Um, and I can see how that makes the protest more important and how everybody's going like, you think you're helping, you think you're doing better than you would have done, you know, 10, 20, 30, whatever years ago. It's, but look, these three movies that were all nominated all have these problems and how can we let that stand? And, I, and it makes a lot of sense. And part of the reason that we didn't hear about it was because the protest had started about two hours prior to the Academy Awards being uh, shown on television and the attack by uh, cops in riot gear oh. happened a little bit before it opened as well. So it wasn't really covered on the news, it wasn't really covered on a lot of things, but it was very much, uh, it, it exists and you can Google it, and it, it exists will. on reputable yeah. sources. But it was a very big thing that happened because of this movie and because of the Academy Award nomination. And we didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And we didn't learn from it. So, there is this whole preamble that uh, Lecter and Clarice have before the discussion of uh, whether Bill is trans or not. And it's talking about the moth. Because they find a moth larva in uh, the victim's esophagus. And so they're talking about the moth. And I'm curious because I've heard ever since I started kind of Googling what trans is, this whole like idea of like like a butterfly. You know, yeah, we're, we're one thing and then we change and then we're another thing. And that's not completely accurate, but it's, it's definitely within the realm of, of uh, transness. 
what what are your opinions on this this idea of the the butterfly narrative and the change narrative and whether changing it to a moth in this instead of say a butterfly uh, holds any any weight? Well, people tend to be a little more creeped out by moths than butterflies, so I think it's a significant choice. You know, they didn't pick something that everybody agrees is pretty like a monarch or like something with bright colors. They definitely associated it with you know, nighttime and sort of you know moths aren't as pretty generally. Some of them are, but a lot of them, they're darker, they're gray, you know, people are like, oh, it's flying on me in the night, I can't see it, moths are scary, and I, I do think that that's a very significant choice that they made deliberately, rather than going with something beautiful by, by, by general stereotype standards. Uh, in terms of the butterfly metaphor for trans people, I think it's totally valid for some people, but not a great generalization of the idea of I was one thing and then all of a sudden I'm another because as I mentioned earlier it's life is a whole journey and especially for me I mean my gender changes constantly like I could never say that as a trans person I was one thing and now I'm perfectly the other thing like I feel like we're always just as people we're always changing and becoming different things so to say that there was one moment where like I became trans is just it's inaccurate. It's, I don't think it's very truthful for a lot of trans and non-binary people. But it does sound like what Ashley was saying about the gatekeeping rules by yes. non-trans medical professionals saying you have to become completely the other thing and don't even talk about the thing you were before. That's what it sounds like. Right. I mean, it's like the whole misconception of having Caitlyn Jenner as the head of trans media of like, they were one thing this whole time, and ta-da, all of a sudden, one day, they're another. And the majority of America was like, oh, that's how trans work. And we're like, not really. If you're a rich white guy before you transition, it is. But, like, most of us aren't. So I think it's a really watered-down, generalized metaphor that is not accurate. People but, just struggle with it, though. I remember, you know, in the early days of, you know, struggling with my gender identity, mm -hmm. feeling like I had to sort of make transitions, and then I would be what I said I was. Right. And I, it was a legwork to get over that, for sure. Um, so in that way, I can see why that, that metaphor does become appealing to people, to, especially if you are struggling with a lot of dysphoria and you're unhappy, you're going to say, well, you know, on the other side of this is something magical and perfect, which isn't quite how life works. Right? I mean, I, when I was struggling with trying to find the right term for my gender, that was my huge problem, was I was like, I have to find the perfect term so that when I come out with it, it's the exact right thing, and it's exactly what I am, and it, like, took me over a year because there were so many different terms that made sense, and I was like, I was like, no, I have to be the right one, and it took me a long time to be like, just kidding, I can pick whatever word I want because it's mine. And so. then we have the, the Buffalo Bill character right. who definitely believes that for sure. Whether or not they're really a trans person or whatever the identity actually is has definitely fixated on this idea of if I can just become a woman, everything will be fine and perfect. And that is a really, uh, I guess I guess pervasive is a good word, but like it, that really is a pervasive thing within trans communities, that idea of like once I get X, everything will be solved. And that's absolutely not true. And I realize that that's still probably a, a, something that Buffalo Bill, the, the character, may in the future, if they survived, if they weren't hacking ladies up to make a lady suit, then maybe they would have figured out and realized later, but that is not where this went. They went no, with the lady suit. Yeah. Well. The lady suit. The lady suit. <laughs> Maybe the nicest way to say it. Yeah. So one thing, so the, the moth, and I did a little bit of outside research. I haven't been able to read the book yet because, it, you know, the book exists. It's called it Silence. Uh, and it's it goes a little bit deeper. Some of the aspects that they cut from the movie, uh, the character, the, the Buffalo Bill character, I guess, during that scene where they were kind of saying, like, do you want to fuck me? I want to fuck me. Uh, they had been watching videos of their mother uh, being a beauty queen mm -hmm. or something, like competing in a beauty pageant, which has a whole nother level Whoa. to whatever's going on here. And it's just kind of like, 
I don't know. It, it kind of feels a little bit like Psycho at that point. Because just everything about this, and I know that we haven't covered Psycho yet, but it just feels... So yeah. Mm. Like, have, have both of you seen Psycho? Yes. Hmm. Bits and pieces. Okay. I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen all of it yet. But I know that it's also a somewhat vaguely trans character, right? Well, they... Like, debatable. What's interesting about Psycho, they have a moment in Psycho, much like the... Clarice Lecter moment where they say, well, that's not really a transsexual. And at the end, they're like, no, there are really people that are trans. There are really people that are born one way and think that they're another, and that's perfectly fine. They're not, basically it's said, quote-unquote, they're not crazy. Uh, but, and so it's actually, it's actually yeah, kind of commendable, yeah. Crazy. Like, uh, this person, crazy. yeah. It's like, that's, that's, that's Okay. Yeah, I'm still crazy. <laughs> you, can, crazy. You, you can be both, but what one is not necessarily indicative of the other. <laughs> if you can absolutely be both, but um, the but in in Psycho they make the very mm -hmm. big distinction. Sure. This person was just so traumatized by their mother's death and had such a terrible life that they right. believed they were their mother. Right. And. With this one, it just kind of, like, but very much like that. But people you know, forget still, that that exists, too. another man dressing up as a woman killing people, it's still not great media-wise. I think this is one of those films where the, the, the very sort of slow pacing in the beginning, they, you know, they really take their time. And you know going in, even if it was, you know, just out, you'd have some idea of what kind of movie you were going to see. And I think the execution of, of just tone, you know, she's running in the woods in the beginning, and you're like, is this just going to be a slasher film right off the bat? Is like someone going to jump out and grab her? What's happening? Like, is she chasing a bad guy? And you don't know. And there's so many moments like that in the beginning where nothing bad is happening. It's like the same way that Jaws sets you up to think the shark's behind every sunken ship, but it's not, um, that I thought really, I was ready. By the time I met Hannibal, I was completely immersed in like the world that they had made that was this creepy, where there was this gentleman cannibal, which I have a little trouble believing is something that could exist in the real world. But in this world, I was like, yes, that sounds exactly like the kind of criminal you would run into. I found myself fascinated by that poor girl in the pit. Like, that's just horrifying. I, I really, I don't know. She drew a lot of focus for me, because, I mean, no one, I mean, yeah, they're trying to save her, but she's kind of the least important part. Everyone's focused on the villains, but she's, she's having a time down there. It is it's a lot. It really, I think it's powerful, her in that. Because they didn't have to put her in a put pit. She could have, you know, they could have just locked her in a room. But no, they put her in a pit mm. and had her put things in a basket and take things out of a basket. I mean, it's psychologically quite traumatizing. I, I found mm. that whole way they dealt with her as the victim really, really powerful, considering she's one of, like, two women in the whole movie. No, I, I agree with you there. The other, the other thing I found fascinating about it was her trying to figure out ways to get out, uh, specifically with the, uh, with, with the dog Precious. Precious, was it? Yeah, Precious. Yeah, Precious. yeah and, like, dragging it into the pit and finding a way to be like, no, you're going to give me a phone, because this dog, this dog is hurt. Like, it's like, no, you're not really a person. You're like, I am, and I got your dog, and your dog's hurt, and you want, you don't want your dog to be hurt, do you? <laughs> so, yeah, it, they, she they does try to handle the manipulation. Mm. I mean, she goes really, she definitely goes harder into survival mode, and I was like, how am I going to get out of here? She's smarter than she could have been. Yeah, like, they, they definitely could have. They get into that sort of, like, dealing, um, you know, dealing with, you know, the, the, you know, unhinged person, you know, you have her mother who makes that sort of plea and the, the FBI recruits talk about, you know, how you make someone see their victim as a human instead of a, a you know, an object or a goal or whatever, which, you know, is interesting because, of course, we see Buffalo Bill, you know, giving the lotion and all the creepy stuff and calls her it, doesn't call her, like, doesn't treat her as though she is a woman 
clearly recognizes that because she's enough woman to make a woman suit out of. But at the same time, that distance that people are trying to bridge in both directions of like reaching this person to stop them however they can, but to, to sort of make a personal connection, to figure out who Buffalo Bill really is, you know, and identify whether it be, you know, the FBI agents or this girl who's just trying to figure out any way to save her own life. I'm also curious about, because there was a, a the moment with, uh, where we first meet Dr. Lecter, they absolutely, they don't call him Hannibal, they don't call him Mr. Lecter, they always call him Dr. Lecter, because mm -hmm. yes, he is a doctor. They don't necessarily afford Buffalo Bill the same respect when it comes to pronouns, but at the same time, like, Dr. Lecter eats people, but he's a doctor. Like, what, yeah. like, it's the veneer of respectability. Hmm. It's that same thing. Like, who is the more interesting villain? When you talk about, like, again, not knowing, I was like, well, I know there's this other villain character, but like, the movies are about Dr. Lecter. They're about him. And they're about his relationship with Clarice. And this, the, the Buffalo Bill character is so much of a side note in so many ways. It's the boogeyman idea of a villain, but the, the psychological villain is really... The, the complexly psychological villain is Hannibal Lecter, who also bites people's faces off. <laughs> but somehow, like Buffalo Bill is 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 the is the real boogeyman. Like I don't know. Like it's kind of weird, but it's definitely like Doctor Lecter. Lecter holds himself well. He's got this sort of old world masculinity, and Buffalo Bill is maybe a crazy person who thinks he's a woman. Mm. I, I, it feels yeah. very deliberate, I guess. No, I, I absolutely agree with you, Kelsey. <laughs> the, the other thing that I noticed that was like very subtle, and part of it I didn't completely notice. It seemed completely thrown in. I'm going to find the spot that it shows up. It's a visual thing. Uh, I want to know if you see what I saw. Okay, It's around uh, the end of the film when the alarm goes off and Buffalo Bill is find, found out that somebody is near their house, so I'm just going to let it play and we'll describe what we see to the audience. Right, so this is the moment where she's got the dog. I like his nipple, right? Yeah. really cute. Am I the only one that thought when he had the woman suit on he looked like David Lee Roth? <laughs> he really did, though. A little bit. This was really well done when you think the the task force yeah. is closing in on the house and they're not. Yeah. Come on, it's coming up. I pulled back a little further than I wanted to, but no, this is still good to watch again. heard that in so many metal albums, like that quote, I didn't you realize it was from this movie. Yeah. You don't know what pain it is, yeah. It's uh, a lot of context, too. I think it's coming, nope, nope, not yet. Okay. We're getting there, I swear. Thrilling podcast material. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. Hold on. That! The Nazi quilt! What? Yes! <laughs> I knew that was where you were going with this. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> wait. A swasta quilt. Yes. <laughs> like, why? Why? There is no, like, and maybe I'm wrong, but from what I saw, there was no evidence that this character is a Nazi. There's no evidence that this character is anyway white powery. Like my my one question was none of us have read the books and are they making reference to things that are in the books? Is right. Buffalo Bill's character more developed and more do we get more background? Cuz there's so many details about Buffalo Bill that don't make sense. They're just like thrown in there and you're like are you just trying to make this character look as scary as possible or as crazy evil as possible? Like why 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 is that quilt there? So I can answer that a little bit, Kelsey. The book, and I haven't read it, but in my research I was looking up things. The butterfly, which they, or the butterfly, the moth, which they prominently put on the front of the uh, poster. Yes. Is uh, what's known as uh, a death's head moth. 
Right, which is the same moth that they find in the court in the, the woman's mouth. The yep. And Death's Head is a very uh, iconic, I guess, image in Nazi imagery. Mm. Uh-huh. And why they feel the need to make this character, and again, maybe it makes more sense in the book, but why they feel the need to make this character a Nazi and a trans person who's denied things, and why in the movie they feel the need to put the swastika the swastiquilt swastiquilt in there just does not make sense to the narrative that they are presenting as a movie which is maybe in a deleted scene but like what yeah. is happening <laughs> my dad says there's no one more evil than a nazi the universal villain mm-hmm. but also very unnecessary for this movie yeah. uh, i think it'd be interesting if they actually picked up on it and fleshed that out but since they don't why? It just sort of like almost subconsciously says, if there was any shadow of a doubt, if you in any way, shape, or form, and uh, this is something my wife was talking about with me a little bit as I saw this happening and just yelled, what is that? It's almost this this feeling that like, all right, if you had any sympathy for this person who is doing this for any reason, we need to cut that immediately. I felt that as well. Um, that they definitely, you get closer towards the climactic events and they have to make sure that this person is the scary villain, you know, before the big scene where he, they turn off all the lights and, and clearly Starling is stumbling around and about to get killed in the darkness. And as fucked up as that scene was, that was a fantastic scene. Like, it was crazy. Isn't that the reason Jodie Foster didn't come back to do the other movies? She actually did it in the dark with no lights on, and it scarred her so much, she was like, I can't do these anymore. It it, it reads that way. You can see the the, the method acting there. It's incredible to watch. It's Mm. much more frightening than almost anything else that they do. And I think, and we were kind of, and uh, the three of us were kind of hinting on this, what really makes this movie, like, let's, let's go in this direction. What makes this movie good? Because this is a good movie. Like, this is yeah. not a bad movie. This is a very well-done, well-constructed, well-shot movie. One of the things that I love about it is it's not jump scares. Mm. Which I It's hate. definitely, I mean, it's a psychological yeah. horror. Yeah. It's not a slasher. It's not insidious. Like, it's, it's psychological horror, which I think is the scariest. Um... And so, Bear, if we were to see it today, I'm curious, how do you think this movie would be made? Like, what do you think we would see more of? Uh, <laughs> I'm um, putting you on the spot, but... Jeez. <laughs> um, oh, would I like to see more, or what do I think, realistically, Hollywood would make? Uh, go in either direction. Uh, I would like a more fleshed-out Buffalo Bill, I think. Mm. Uh, uh, that'd be great. I'd love a more kick-ass Starling. I, she's already kick-ass, but I'd love for her to not take any of the misogynistic bullshit. I'd love for her to just be like, everyone shut the fuck up. I got this. That'd be fun. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I think this film is really well done. I gotta say, I think a lot of what makes this is Jodie Foster. I think, in general, she's a really fantastic actress, and she's a really genuine actor. She really... I mean, I, I I find her really believable when she's in her characters. Like, through her whole career, I think she really just embodies them and is able to live their lives on screen. And I think that's a central part of what makes this movie so great, is, is her performance. Kelsey? I don't think that it would be easy to manage a film with such subtlety in this day and age. I mean, even, you know, the Hannibal TV show, which TV gives you a little more room for things like that and sort of the way that we handle it today, even that really amps up the visual horror. You know, this is about the way people speak to each other. As you were talking about, the eye contact is such a big part of this movie. And we don't tend to pace things that way. And it's funny because even sort of, you know, the, 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 the fight scenes at the end where, you know, things are really ramped up and they're trying to crawl out of the hole and they're running around in the dark and all that stuff, it's also slower. And for me, you know, I always find with the big movies today, 
I can't even tell what's happening. It's like people are running around and, and knives are flying and everything. It's like, you know, even the, the goriest part of the movie, which is when Hannibal kills his guards and escapes, even that we only see the aftermath, right. really. We don't actually see, you know, we see him beating him with the, with the batter, the, his own uh, baton, I think it is. Yeah, his mm -hmm. nightstick. But it's not focused on the guard being beaten. We see Hannibal's face and he's looking down at us. And you know, the sound effects and stuff like that. But in a modern movie, you would see right. the bat connecting with the guard. And I don't think, like, for me personally, like, I couldn't watch a film like that. And this film, I, it, I was surprised by because I didn't know that it was going to be so subtle and so beautifully done. And there are moments when that's not the case, when we get the full-on gore, when Hannibal lunges at someone and starts biting them, and when the, the woman is down in the hole, which I think is the most visceral horror we get, where she's just screaming and clawing at the walls hysterically. But the subtlety, I think, we would lose in a, in a, in a modern film. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with you, Kelsey. I think... Uh, and that's uh, one of the reasons that I love Stranger Things, as much as it's got its problems, it's all atmosphere, and yeah. this... And like, it really falls down once it stops doing atmosphere, like, it, it's, yeah. its least strong part is the is the sort of monster itself, mm. and, and this is sort of the same way. It's, like, like, it's least strong part is actually seeing Buffalo Bill. Mm. I'm not really scared of Buffalo Bill. I don't really understand what that character is supposed to be. I'm scared of the mystery of there's someone out there killing women and skinning them and what's that about, but the character to me was almost a letdown in that yeah. respect. It was like, Hannibal's scary. The only time I'm really afraid of Buffalo Bill is the first time we see him when he tricks her into the van because it's so realistic. Yeah. And that's another thing this movie does. There's so many times of dramatic irony. You know exactly what's happening the second he asks her to put that thing. You know oh. when Hannibal's going to get the pen and escape. Mm. You, the audience member, you always know that these things are going to happen before they happen. You know, irony. when Clarice finally finds Buffalo Bill, she doesn't realize it's him, but you've seen him a bunch of times with them, yeah. you know, so it's like the same thing. You know, I feel like I'm, like, misgendering Buffalo Bill because we don't know. Well, well, and, and for the sake of this, like, I've kind of been using them, <laughs> yeah, no, you them but even then, like, it's still, to, like, for it's this, like... but for this, because it's a, because it's a fictional piece and because yeah. they, in the fictional world that they've created... You know, why don't we have a conversation about that? Like, yeah, I'd let's, love to, let's, because let's, it's let's actually... Let's talk about that, because that's, like... It's really how, throwing me off. <laughs> how, do we, how do we discuss Buffalo Bill's pronouns? Because this is a fictional piece that's not based on any reality. This character is a fictional character. They have decided in this fictional world, which is based on contemporary of the time medical knowledge that they've decided Buffalo Bill can't be a woman because Buffalo Bill has trauma in their life. So how do we discuss their gender? Like, how do we discuss their pronouns? Yeah, it, it's actually really difficult, you know, especially from the perspective of, of wanting to be respectful in the larger context because it's not, you're not just necessarily misgendering this fictional character, but you're, you're aware of, of the way that people are misgendered. And I think that tinges the conversation from a purely film instinct, as you guys heard, my, my instinct is to believe Hannibal in the context of the narrator, like trusting the narration of the film saying, in this case, we intended this for not to be a trans person. So in the, the God narrator of the people who wrote this story say, this character is not actually a trans woman. And so, like, my instinct is to want to believe them in context. And then, of course, you can say, like, well, you know, can we trust the other characters when we, this person is saying that they are and everyone around them is saying no, so how do you... But I think that's why I tend to, like, I keep falling back into he without meaning to because Hannibal told me. <laughs> oh, God, that got really scary. <laughs> Hannibal told me, so I believed him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kelsey. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the real scary psychological part of this movie. I just believe everything Hannibal tells me. <laughs> Whew, okay. Somebody else talk. <laughs> My thing is, like, I think about... What would Buffalo Bill say if I asked for their pronouns? And my gut says they would want female pronouns. 
But Buffalo Bill is also a murderer who may not even know if they themselves want female pronouns, so I can't even say with certainty they'd want female pronouns. So I, I feel like in discussion, gender-neutral pronouns are the best way to not offend this fictional character. And on that note, don't we eventually find out Buffalo Bill's actual name? Yeah. Like yeah. some way, like, I feel like I'm misgendering them just it, by calling them Buffalo Bill the whole conversation. It, it was a name, and I don't, like, I, I, it I can easily... It is a male name, a well, yeah, quote-unquote male name. It's a... a and a, I'm sure it's... first name, right? Yeah, I, I'm sure, and I'm sure it's a real name, but it's a name I've never heard. Like, I think it was, like, Jam? Like, it was this, like... Right. Well, it, it threw me off because yeah. Halo, like, three times gives them different anagrams and different names that aren't right. Yeah. Too. But, yeah... But I think that just speaks to how much this person does not have an identity in the film. Or how they're given an identity by other people. Right. Mm. They're not even allowed to express their identity. It's other people saying what they believe their identity to be with all certainty. But they're a third party. You can't tell someone what their gender is. And you you know, Bear, you bring up a really good point. (laughs) That this movie maybe wasn't actually trying to do that idea of society is telling you you have to be this. Like, this is who you are. You're No, you're Buffalo Bill. No, you're Buffalo Bill. Like, well, no, I'm, I'm this. No, you're Buffalo Bill. Like, <laughs> right. And just that idea of, like, yeah. Like, he has, they have their own perception of who they are that we don't really get any part of. All we hear is what Hannibal and Bruce want to say about them. And then we accept it as truth, but we're accepting someone's truth who's not doesn't have their own doesn't even have their own words to express it. Doesn't even have the hardly chance. even talks in right. the entire movie. And I will also point out to any listeners who maybe are listening to this and thinking like, why are we spending so much time on the respectability politics of a person who is a fictional uh, murderer, a fictional <laughs> kidnapper, murderer, etc. Skin suit maker. Skin suit maker. <laughs> Uh, Hannibal Lecter, who is a cannibal, again, is afforded the title of doctor. And it's respectful. So much respect. human beings, Mm -hmm. even if they're fictional, use correct pronouns. It doesn't hurt you. Like, Mm -hmm. true. People get to be people, even if they are terrible people, they deserve to be treated as human beings. I need to know. It's the title of the podcast. Silence of the Lambs. Is it transphobic? Yes. Kelsey says yes. I think it is. Okay. Is this a yes or no question? There can be varying can I degrees. Elaborate. You can, you can, it's, we're not going with I binary think... answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't work on the binary. No binary. You, you can go non-binary uh, with this answer. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say the film itself is transphobic, but I think the implications definitely are. I was... I, I glanced at a few articles about like looking at this movie through a trans lens, and something that really struck me is the idea that trans people are often seen as murderers and violent people in media, when in fact trans women specifically are the target of the majority of violence. So I think it's really terrible to be showing the world violent trans people when they're the ones, we're the ones suffering the violence. I think it's a huge misconception that I'm not sure they were trying to make that point or that anyone was trying to say all trans people are murderers, but to people who don't catch that they say that he's not or they're not trans, like it definitely put in implications in people's mind of what a trans woman is because whether they caught it or not, people do see Buffalo Bill as a trans woman. That's how people describe them. And I think Again, the implications and the effect that it had is transphobic, but I don't think the movie within itself is transphobic. Solid, <laughs> solid answer, man. Yeah, yeah okay. no, that's yeah. Uh, personally, I because I kind of agree with Bear, but if I'm I'm, I'm totally saying yes on a binary scale yeah. uh, because yeah. But at the same time, the, the follow-up question to that I have for both of you is, 
whether it is or not, did that stop your ability to enjoy or not enjoy this movie? No. Did you, so, and did you enjoy it? I yeah. did. I, I think this is a really, really well done movie. I, I'm a huge fan of horror movies, and especially psychological. I think it's really well done, and uh, Buffalo Bill's definitely a flawed character, definitely not a good representation of what a trans character could be, but, you know, it didn't, bo it didn't bother me so much that I couldn't focus on the movie as other portrayals of trans people have distracted me. For me, it really did. I, um, I really enjoyed the rest of the film, and the entire time, whenever I actually got to see the character, I was just, I was so confused. I was like, I don't know what this movie is trying to tell me. I don't know what I'm supposed to believe about this character. Why is there a swastika quilt? Why is there a dog? What? I don't know any of the actual background of this person at all. And for a movie that does so beautifully, they don't tell us a ton of information about Hannibal. But by the end of the movie, I know exactly who that man is. I've seen the culture doctor. I've seen the crazy murderer who's super strong and can bite your ear off. Like, I know that character. And the Buffalo Bill character is, is, a, is a, to me, just so much of a paper mache. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell if there was quality under there, and I felt like the movie made me jump through so many hoops to try to understand even what it wanted me to take away, never mind what I might actually take away on my own steam, that it threw me off. And I loved everything else about the film, and whenever Buffalo Bill wasn't around, I was really immersed, and then Buffalo Bill came back, and I was like, wait, what are you trying to tell me? So it really, it really messed, messed the movie up for me a lot. Mm. I still loved it, but at the same time, I know what this is. Like, it's, yeah, okay. Like, I get it. I know what it is. It didn't necessarily pull me out completely, but at the same time, it did make me question a lot of things. Kind of like you were saying, Kelsey, the, the idea that, like, okay, like, what, what exactly are you trying to say with this character? I don't understand this character. I feel like, even though you're telling me these things, I don't fully understand how, because... I, I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm living it because I'm not skinning women alive, uh, but like, I, that is not a thing I'm, I'm doing. I'm so glad to hear that. I feel like we should all make sure that we're saying things like that before <laughs> we, that. just, you know, hey, just not as a reminder, a not murdering people, but, <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm living the struggle, so it's just like, I don't get, I feel like maybe they could have benefited from having... I don't know what they could have benefited from having. But you know, I... Just to be different, I kind of like that we don't know everything about Buffalo Bill as much... Because mm -hmm. they intrigue me. The fact that I want to know more, I think, means that they were written really well. I, I don't need everything explained to me, and I kind of like that at the end of the movie we still don't know much about that. I, I enjoy a character like that where... We feel like we're supposed to know them better, but we never actually got to understand them. I think that's, I think it's fun, but I totally understand why it's distracting. Hmm. Is there anything you want us to know about Silence of the Lambs? Is there anything you want to say before we get at, before we get going? If you're like me and you were afraid to see it, you can see it. You'll do okay. It's it's not Saw. It's really, and it's not even Hannibal. I had to stop watching Hannibal because it was a little too much for me with the visual stuff. And um, I now I sort of regret not having seen this movie sooner. And even with the transphobic stuff, I think we all agree that it's worth seeing. Uh, I want to thank my guests, Kelsey and Bear. Thank you so much for coming in, talking about Silence of the Lambs. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Is there anywhere on the internet that you want people to find people? Do you want people not to find you? Do you want to... <laughs> Because I can tell you, uh, you can find me at AshleyLaurenRogers.com and on Twitter at Lucretia, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A, Deer4, D-E-A-R-4. Man, I wish I had a website, but uh, you can check out my Instagram, because I model sometimes. That's at Bear, like the animal, the punk. Uh, you can find my writing on Tor.com under Kelsey Jefferson Barrett. 
And if you're a fan of stories about people skinning other people, you can read my old story on Lightspeed Magazine. It's called My Teacher, My Enemy, and it's under my old name, Kelsey Ann Barrett. Awesome. Thank you so much. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. <laughs>